Welcome, good morning, and a happy Sabbath to everyone, everywhere, anytime. You're, you can always tune in here, by the way. I'd like to thank Brother Ruben Capistrano for his introductory message in song for all of us today. God bless you. God bless everyone. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we continue our uh, investigation, our examination of both ourselves, our minds, the storehouse of truth, the Word of God. We want to make sure that as we are being weighed in the balances 
of the sanctuary, we shall not be found wanting. Please be with us so that we can walk with you in full harmony. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to continue our journey, our, our, our uh, study. Uh, I feel blessed myself as we go through this because it's a reminder that there are a lot of things that we took for granted or worse, we even misinterpreted. Uh, but God is good. And it's good because he says that there was a time when they believed the error. Uh, but in the book of Acts, under the power of the Holy Spirit, the apostles preached to those who were listening. Oh, yes, God winked at the ignorance of the past. But now he commandeth all to repent. So you cannot claim that, well, this is how I learned it. This is the tradition. This is how I believed it. Oh, yes. But now he says it's a command to repent from that ignorance because the truth has come. There's nothing to excuse you right now. So bless God, bless your souls, and bless our study. We're continuing on the topic of willing consent of the governed, both of this nation and, of course, the kingdom of God and his government. I'd like to open up this section here by reading a passage from Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 to 4. All right? Because here it shows us a choice. Some people make choices for the good. It's called the straight and narrow path. Some, many people make the choice for the broad way which ends unto death. And here we have it as early as the time of Isaiah. Different language, same principle, same message. God never changes. The truth never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you pick up your Bibles, I want to read with you Isaiah chapter 66, verses, starting with verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all these things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been made, have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I seek, or will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembleth at my word. Look at what follows, how God uses uh, metaphors to describe those who make the wrong choices. And it has to do with sacrifices. The sacrifices at the time and the sacrifices today. And look, what, look at the language. Verse 3, He that killeth an ox or cow is as if he had slain a man. He that sacrifices a lamb as if he has cut off the neck of the dog. He that offereth an oblation as if he has offered the swine's blood. He that bringeth, burneth incense as if he that blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways. And their, this soul, their soul delighteth in their abominations. Well, that was their choice. Look at God's choice. 
He says, I also will choose their delusions and I will bring their fears upon them because when I called, none did answer. When I spoke, none did hear, but they did evil before mine eyes and they chose that in which I delighteth not. So choose you this day. Straight path or the broad way. Because with all the sacrifices that we are doing, if we are on the wrong path, because of the wrong concepts we have of God and his requirements, read that again. 66 verse 3 of Isaiah, he that kills an ox is as if he slew a man. I didn't kill a man. Yes, you did, spiritually. He that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut the dog's neck, and he that offereth an oblation as if he's offered swine's blood, he that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Why? Because they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. Now let's get back to the example of Jacob who became Israel, not just a changed name, but a change of character, a change of direction. The difference was as night and day. And the difference was between light and darkness, truth and error. You can't have both of them, by the way. So on Genesis 32, 26, we read this long story here about uh, the life of Jacob certainly because he became the father of the 12 tribes and the 12 tribes became Israel and Israel became the chosen people and then they lost it in the New Testament. That's why Jesus had to turn to the Gentiles in the New Testament and the new uh, Christian dispensation. In Genesis 32, 26, Jacob pleaded with a determined spirit. Determined spirit. He said, I will not let you go except you bless me. What kind of spirit was this? This kind of spirit is this, this kind of persistence, by the way, was inspired by him who wrestled with Patriarch Job. Okay? We can have this persistence, but it can either come from the one who is in the straight and narrow path leading out there or the one who is in the broad way. We will make sure. That's why we need the power of discernment. That kind of persistence was not like the persistence of people who pray and pray the whole day, but fail to obey God's word. That's not work that way, friends. It was he who gave Jacob the victory saying, as a prince has thou power with God and men and has prevailed. That's victory, isn't it? Genesis 32, 28. That for which Jacob had vainly wrestled in the beginning because it was in his own strength was won, first of all, through self-surrender and a steadfast faith. Not wavering, not once, not sometimes, but all the time, unwavering faith. That is what is meant by 1 John, 3, 1 John 5 verse 4. You see, when I read this before, independent of the line upon line, precept upon precept, here little or there little, 
I made a wrong conclusion. He was honest. Didn't mean it was correct. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 1 John 5 verse 4. If you read that alone, you say, well, I have faith. I'm already victorious. That's not the way it works in God's word. That's why you need to study. I need to study. An example is given. Only that which Jacob had, well, to begin with, he was vainly wrestling with his own strength. He failed. It was won only through a process. There had to be a self-surrender and then a steadfast faith. Then that is the kind of victory that God gives in order to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, I, as I was going through this, I just realized now, maybe you will too, uh, about wrestling. Okay, uh, This topic, why Paul in particular, the Bible does talk about that, Use wrestling as the metaphor to illustrate the literal spiritual battle raging in the hearts and minds of men for the souls of men. The battle that's raging in his immediate surroundings, in his own home, in his workplace, in the world, and even in the churches in particular to which he belongs. It is a wrestling match because of all the sports, come to think of this, Okay. Of all the kinds of sports or combat and or fighting moves and stances of all this, wrestling in particular. Now, of course, now with the octagon and this mixed martial arts, these heroes and heroines, even women, they're wrestling even more physically. It's the kind of contact that is made in this kind of sports and combat is the most intimate form of contact than the traditional hand-to-hand -hand combat that was. You see this on movies uh, glorifying the hand-to-hand -hand combat between uh, fighting armies uh, during the world wars. See, because in wrestling, the mind, the body, the arms, the legs of the protagonists are literally and physically not only wrapping around themselves, but they are trapping and squeezing into submission, suffocation, or even causing the death of the other in what I call a death embrace. No wonder it's wrestling. You know, as Paul aptly described it as a matter of conclusion, because he says when you read, okay, when you read this chapter in Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, Finally, my brethren, Again, when you see the word brethren, because sometimes you see my people, this nation, this city, but here when it says my brethren, he's addressing the church. My brethren, but here in this instance, it's not simply addressing the members of the church, but it is speaking of an activity that is totally related to the army, the fighting stance of an army, but this is a spiritual army. Because it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why and how? He explains it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle. You see now? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, human beings, but against spirit 
against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. This clearly describes religious, not merely political, financial, or technological warfare. Religion. You see, Jacob's prayer at the great crisis of his life, or sometimes you can use this term, or at the crossroads of his life, or is as currently more popular used now in the public discourse, they say, well, that's the inflection moment of his life, was in no way an irreverent, disrespectful, or presumptuous command or demand from God. You know, like I've heard it before. I personally witnessed, and I, thought, I, I wanted to emphasize this, and witnessed a group of Christian pastors. They were gathered in a, in a convention, and somewhere during the break, they were called upon to zealously pray for some terminal ill patients there. You know what they were doing? They were shouting, literally, at the top of their voice, angry voices, with threatening voices, and what we're doing, they were commanding the evil spirits, the devils to come out of some terminally ill people, uh, patients, and but in the process, they were screaming, say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I've read the Bible through and through. I've never seen this before, but I saw it with my eyes here in this world. It is, in fact, this is what scared me, that in their blindness, they were engaging in a blasphemous using the name of Christ in vain. That's why no wonder when Jesus said, the time is coming when at that time, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we cast out demons? That's exactly what it says in Matthew. Just I know you not. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I think that's the scariest statement ever made in Christ's discourse throughout his teaching in the New Testament. I never knew you. And yet you said, I knew him. He says, I never knew you. Who wins out? God will. But we want to make sure we're doing it in God's way and God's will. You see, it is in fact the exact opposite of flowery, showy public prayers of the Pharisees and a presumptuous, self-confident, self-righteous, Peter-like Christians. Peter had that experience. But you don't want to remain in that kind of experience. Even if he was a disciple, he failed Christ as a disciple. He denied Christ three times with swearing and cursing as a disciple. But he couldn't be sent out yet by God to do the God's work. He had to be changed, to be transformed. He would make the right choices. You see, here's a question we should ask all of us today, you, me, everyone else. How many of us consider this COVID pandemic as the great crisis of our life? I'm sure countless did and still do. Now, if we were praying and interceding for ourselves as well as for others, and we should do that, the question, was, the question I'd like to ask, and we should ask ourselves, what was, the, what was prevailing in our minds as the greatest need and desire in our hearts and minds? Was it like Jacob's or merely the deliverance from the COVID-19 virus with all its, oh, 
its mutant forms, and all the havoc of physical, temporal, financial troubles it brought and is still wreaking havoc over the whole world. Lately, India. You know, look at this. We all can learn. We all can learn and immensely benefit from Jacob's transformational moment in his life. In fact, this was marked by God himself by changing the name Jacob, which means a supplanter, to Israel, one who had gained victory. And I know spiritual Israelites today, remember this. Don't just claim the name. Because unless the same transformational change of the moment has taken place in our actual Christian walk with God, claiming to be spiritual Israelites or to be spiritual Jews is nothing but a mere profession of faith. It is in vain. It is not an actual possession of that faith of Jesus. In Revelation 22, 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates into the city. And this one I found in my life today, 340. And I'm going to end in this passage. It says the conflict is before us. The only safety for any one of us now is to be one with Christ in God. Remember our first verse? Can two walk together except they be agreed? To be one with Christ in God. We are strive, we are to strive to enter in the straight gate. But this straight gate does not swing loosely on its hinges. It will not admit doubtful characters. We must now strive for eternal life with an intensity that is proportionate to the value of the price that is set before us. And I remember what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 12 to 15. He set that mark before him. And close to his death, he said, I still strive towards the mark of the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. It is not money. It is not lands. It is not position, but the possession of Christ-like character that will open to us the gates of paradise. It is not dignity, as good as it is. It is not intellectual attainments that will win for us this crown of immortality. Only the meek and lowly ones. That's what Isaiah was constantly writing on. The meek and lowly ones who have made God their sufficiency, their strength, their dependence, will receive this gift. Now, I want to emphasize on these passages below with a question. What is the science of eternity? What is the science of all true science? Because not because it's called science, is it scientific in the biblical sense? There's a science falsely so-called in these last days, which is a counterfeit. And uh, I love this, and I want you to, if you forget about it, I want you to write it down. I want you to run this again. To create the soul, create the soul anew, to bring light out of darkness, love out of enmity and hate, 
holiness out of iniquity is the work of omnipotence alone. The work of the infinite as he engages by consent of the human being to make the life complete in Christ to bring perfection to the character is called the science of eternity. By consent. Do you see now how important the word consent is in this whole thing? Not only with the freedom to worship God according to dictates of Corinthians, according to the definition of the First Amendment, but what the Bible teaches us, because it is eternal. So, and in connection with this, there is an honor conferred upon Christ directly related to the freedom and the liberty to worship God in the freedom of our conscience. There is an honor that is conferred to Christ. And what is that honor? Without employing any compulsion, without using violence, he blends the will of the human subject to the will of God. This is the science of all true science. For by it a mighty change is wrought in the mind and the character. The change that must be wrought in the life of everyone who will pass through the gates of the city of God. Whew. You'd like to understand this? To digest this whole thing? What is the honor that will be conferred to Christ? No wonder we missed out on the boat. It is not just to have the glory that he had before he incarnated, before he was humiliated at the cross, before he regained that glorious personage that he had at the resurrection. Much more than that, comprehending the plan of redemption and has everything to do with the true liberty and true freedom in Christ all illustrated in the Bible by actual experiences from the deliverance of Israel from Egypt to the deliverance of Saul to Paul and all that. Without employing any compulsion, without using violence, he blends the will of the human object subject to the will of God. This is the science of all true science, for by it, a mighty change is wrought in the mind and in the character. The change that must be wrought in the life of everyone who passes through the gates of the city of God in what we just quoted earlier. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have, not just the passport, the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates, into the city, Revelation 22.14. My prayer today is, as we consider this topic, you will begin to see why many people are experts in the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but only to the extent that it is, as it is defined by human minds. And I honor them because they preserve the sanctity of that fundamental, inalienable rights of men but it has been corrupted by a lack of understanding of the further, the magnification of the love of God, the spiritual meaning. It simply resided on the lower planes of the legality of it. But we need to rise higher. And God wants us to rise much higher than where we are today. And so what does it say there? 
the consent of the governed? Do we want to be governed by God's power, by God's will, by God's law? Or are we bonking at it? Are we doubting it? Because if we don't, we will not end just where we are today. Doesn't work that way. We will end up rebelling against God's government. As Satan did. Oh, as God's people did in the past. And they suffered terrible consequences. Well, if you talk about temporal and physical consequences, it's probably bearable. But to think of losing life eternal, that is unbearable. I, I wouldn't even want to think of it. But we need to talk about it. Because Satan delights. You see, misery loves company. Satan knows he is lost. He has been judged. His, his end is already given in the book of Revelation. So what is he trying to do? Bring as many as he can with him down. And you can refuse that. You can make the choice today. At this very moment. But listen to the Spirit. Because it says he works in a still small voice. He says today, if you will hear his voice speaking to your conscience, do not harden your hearts. Receive him. For in receiving him, you receive Christ. And by receiving Christ, you receive eternal life as a promise, inheritance now to be possessed when he comes again. Thank you for paying attention. I want you to and I to understand how to study God's word. Very important. It is so important that even Jesus himself had to study the scriptures that he inspired the early writers to write. He had to learn it as a child from the lap of his mother Mary. He who was the word from the beginning learned the word as a human being. How much less can we do and expect to be like him when he comes again? May God help us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for being a, such a faithful and patient and merciful and long-suffering teacher, our a spiritual professor, the author of life, the creator, the sustainer of all, the one who is still interceding as our merciful high priest, our advocate, our mediator, our intercessor. And soon, very soon, probably it's already started as the judge of all the earth. May we live in reference to where you are today by faith. Seeing you by faith, understanding your work by faith, so that when we remain faithful to the end, then we shall see you face to face. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.